like they're not going to need surgery, right? It's not like I'm saying, oh, I'm going to treat, you know, someone's gaping wound remotely, but I'm going to pick things that I know if I just had some more resources here and more guidance, I would be able to treat them. And I pick those five to start with and work with those doctors in the other location to determine these five things we're going to start with. This is exactly in terms of clinical guidelines, what we need um, in terms of what kinds of things that we're willing to treat, the different kinds of questions and, and information we would need to know about that patient in advance. And then I would set up a process, one process that's text-based, and then a process that allows us to go to a video visit when we need it. So this is high level, but I hope that helps give an idea of how we start in creating the programs. Awesome. That was very clear, Sam. Thank you for breaking it down uh, so easily, down to the number of <laughs> phone service bars on the cell phone. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting. So I'd like to open up the floor now for questions. Chi, uh, do you have any questions for Sam? If you're disposed to <laughs> speak. No, not right now. I don't have questions right now, except that from what you said, it would appear that the very basics would include, not uh, well, first, trying to understand and learn what regulations you're working with on the ground. And second, critically, you'd want to know what the next level uh, primary regional healthcare centers are because you know you're and so like thinking of this as like a path right you are connecting the patients and their very basic primary care needs um if you can address them you do and if you can't you need you need the next level of care to hand the baton to. So I think those are the two main things that we're realizing. So, well, first you need at least cell phone service, right? At least two bars of cell phone service. So once you, you once it's established that, okay, this, this, it's viable here, telehealth is viable here or providing healthcare, um, they, uh, a digital tool is viable here. I think that's the best way to put it after, you know, Sam's, Sam educating us, you know, so once it's viable, um, it is important to be connected to a regional health center. Um, and I, and I, that reminds me of something we learned last time we had this room about mapping, mapping the regions you're wanting to go into so that you have this network, you know, that you can, you know, refer to, escalate to, um, or refer down to, you know, if critical care is not needed. This is Chi and I'm to Yeah, Chi, that's a, that's a 100% right and very important because the African systems are much more similar in the sense that they're different of the idea of the community health center up to a regional hospital, up to a higher level. So you absolutely want to map what that network is because that is the way you're going to uh, get the higher level care to your smaller places, but that would still follow the same path if you have to go an in-person route. 
Wow, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you for uh, breaking it down, Chi, and uh, your follow-up response, Sam. Uh, Baronidit, are you there to ask your question? Sure, thanks. Thanks very much, Dr. Kiki, for giving me this opportunity. And I'm so grateful I I roam around the corridors of Clubhouse and I drop in this room because I'm happy I got some talking. Over the past 24 months, that have been my uh, my life, my, what has been keeping me busy, sleepless nights, when it comes to... I am actually based in Germany, but I'm originally from Cameroon. So uh, the issue of, of healthcare, giving, uh, strengthening the health system, uh, bringing uh, health to the, to, to the last mile within our rural communities has been preoccupying me. And uh, Sam just touched touch key, key points that I've been working on. One is the um, aspect of the community health worker. The community health worker is going to be at the center of us expanding and uh, strengthening uh, and building a resident health system for ourselves. And that aspect of following a, an evidence-based route, mapping the region, trying to go into investigating what are the regulations, because most countries within our continent uh, lack basically um, um, legal frameworks for the operating of, of, of uh, telemedicine. So those are the things that I think us, for us all, we have to somehow come together and say, where there are no regulations, where, where, where there are no guidelines, how can we assist the policymaker to at least come up with a framework within which, when while, of, while of offering those services for the patients, we are going to protect both the healthcare professional and the patient that is coming in. And on the other, the other aspect is the aspect of looking looking into the infrastructure. On and why I said uh, I'm happy Sam also brought up the concept of the community health worker, and I'm sure KK, Dr. KK did that also at the beginning, is because even where there is no a cellular network, even where there is no internet, the system can be made as such that we work within an asynchronous platform where the community health worker can go out store uh, record the data store and save and then when they come closer to where they have at least the two bars they can then forward them to the to, to the next instance and that aspect of starting with the primary health care and giving the importance the primary health care has within our system is very important so i'll just uh, call it for now i you see i'm just too excited for this room i i pray the gods that may be able to create it uh, you cannot imagine i'll always be looking for uh, to see uh, how how we continue here but i'm more than touched yeah but let me just stay calm for now i'm done bernadette i i love that and i'll i'll give two responses to um some of the comments you made but that made me think so when you talk about the different regulations in the continent and the lack of, I'd say they're starting to come because of the pandemic. I would always suggest that when policymakers are looking for guidance of how do I make this, you know, how do I decide my rules? In each geographic region, there are different contexts. 
And, and I would say in the African region, going to the WHO, um, they have M health guidance. They, and, and the WHO calls telehealth more M health of more of this broader or digital health. So I would always look to say, who is a governing body that already has guidance and that has some maybe credibility or, or governments would look to them as a appropriate place for guidance. So for policymakers in the continent, I would look to the WHO who has all kinds of digital health policy guidance, recommendations, and things like that, that could be used because the more countries can be consistent, obviously the easier it is for all of us. So that would be one suggestion. And then I also really important what Bernadette brought up about the idea of the community health workers may be out in community where there is no cellular service, but they can have a system that they are that they can input data into when it's quote unquote offline. So it could be an app that they're still registering patient's name, you know, maybe that baby vaccine they did or whatever they were doing, they can still enter all of that information. And then that is that asynchronous, uh, which is what she mentioned when they're back in cellular range, that data will then transmit. So these are really important concepts and something that that's why we, we don't always need exactly what you think as long as that data can go a little bit later and it's not a real time conversation that needs to be had. It's an incredible way to still track what's happening for our patients. And then also if we think about disease surveillance, infection surveillance, a great way to be able to do that also. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sam, for your response. And Bernadette, thank you for your brilliant uh, thought process there about, you know, the community health workers and, you know, the asynchrony with which we can implement telehealth, which I think would be the starting point for most uh, communities and countries in Africa because uh, most places are still very rural and some places do not have access to um, phone service. And so, yeah, that was a great response, Sam. Jumake, hi. Uh, could you unmute your mic, introduce yourself to hi. us? <laughs> hi. My name is Jumake. I'm a researcher and I have a law background. I also oversee a research consultancy. I just wanted to share my experience. Um, I come from the southwest of Nigeria, Undo State to be precise. And last year, this primary health thing did bother me because I was wondering why we can have the same system that you have with the NHS, whereby you don't need to actually go to the main hospital in order to get treatment. You can actually, the first thing is you get in touch with your GP, you fill in maybe whatever it is, or you book an appointment. They sometimes will get in touch with you to know what exactly is the problem or they would call you. And sometimes you would go to your neighborhood GP rather than go to what we call the general hospital here. So I was curious in a research manner to find out why this hasn't been working in Nigeria and why there hasn't been so much efforts and capacity put into primary health care. So I decided to work in partnership with a doctor 
a young doctor and we did go to the Ministry of Health here at Ondo State to have a meeting with them and see if they would be interested in us conducting a research on the area of primary health care, sexual gender-based violence and family planning. And after we had the meeting, um, they didn't actually, they just told us, oh, we have another meeting, then you meet the permanent secretary and then you meet the commissioner for health. But that hasn't happened. And I think the reason is because probably they don't have the money to invest in primary health care. Because if there's primary health care, everybody doesn't need to be going to the general hospital. That's what, you know, spoiled on my own career. Everybody doesn't need to go there. There'll be people in the urban and rural areas whereby would be in the different neighborhoods, provinces or local governments that'll be attending to people rather than everybody going to the general hospital. There's some cases you don't need to go and, you know, have the GP attend to you at the general hospital. So this was what prompted me to approach them. But it didn't work out, probably because they felt that maybe that wasn't a priority or maybe they feel that it would eat so much into their budget. I'm just trying to share my experience from the point of view that sometimes it is not like maybe the state government don't want to do this, but probably it depends on the priority of the budget they have and how much time they're willing to invest in such things. But for me, I think primary care is very important. We still went ahead. My team and I still went ahead and created the survey on primary care on family planning and sexual sexual gender-based violence. And we're still hoping that maybe the next time we approach them, they would respond better. That's just the contribution I wanted to make. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jumake. I'm so glad you brought up the issue of um, budget and you know financing for such programs, which would lead to my next question for Sam. But before we do that, I'm going to quickly reset the room uh, and let everybody know this is the uh, Reinventing Healthcare in Africa room, where we discuss all things healthcare access in uh, rural and urban communities in Africa. We're talking about solutions for existing problems with infrastructure, um, education, uh, medical tourism, brain drain. Today, we're focusing on telehealth and uh, how to use telehealth to expand access uh, to healthcare in African countries and populations. And we have today with us Sam, who is a telehealth expert, and she has been doing this for um, at least 11 years. And she's told us quite a lot of things and given us information on how to uh, start the process of implementing telehealth in primary care centers and uh, what's required, the tools that are needed. And uh, we're currently taking questions so if you're in the audience you have any contribution questions or thoughts on this topic please raise your hand and join us on stage i want to acknowledge some regular attendees of this room who have you know 
I have noticed you coming on here for a while now, and I just want to say thank you for your support. I see you, Yomi. I see you, Telly. I see Uwa, Flo, Dale, Shaye. Uh, thank you all for coming into this room. I see you, Miriam. You're new with the party hat. Welcome to Clubhouse. I hope you're enjoying the conversations we're having here. I see you, Dr. Kunle. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you have any contribution, we would love to hear hear from you and everybody else in the audience. Thank you so much. So Sam, I'd like to ask you, what are the financial commitments needed to implement telehealth at the grassroots? What, what should we be looking at per cost? How affordable is it? And um, in what ways do you suggest um, communities source for funds to implement telehealth? Oh, thank you for that question. So that has a lot of different layers to it. Um, if we think first layer is to understand how do the providers, whether it's going to be doctors or, um, you know, a level below that, if there's something like an advanced practice type of provider, first thing you have to know is how are they getting paid? So within each country within each system you may have different ways that they get paid so if if the government has a national health care system and they are paying for services whether someone comes in person or through tele uh, then we know right away okay they'll get paid our providers will get paid it's a it's what we would consider budget neutral because you're either going to come in person or you're going to um, be paid through, uh, through, or you're going to come through telehealth. So it is important when you're talking to government officials, and, and we have the same thing like in insurance companies here in the States, people will say, yes, but my utilization might increase, right? I might have all these more people who get now have access to care. What's important to help them realize is uh, very similar to, to what was said is that if we treat the primary care issue in a community health center, that cost will be lower than if the patient waits and waits and waits and then finally goes to a regional health center and then by the time they get there, that can actually cost the system a lot more. So number one, you have to know how do they get paid for? And if it is paid for, um, is the government's the payer, then you need to be able to, you have to be able to communicate this is budget neutral. We're not doing a ton more care. So that's one aspect. Then I'd be, then the second aspect you're looking at is the technology aspect. And again, here, the prices can be insanely different, but I, <laughs> I'm more of a like low cost, low, easy person. So I would be looking for some kind of solution that allows me to be able to have in the, in the context of Africa, I would want something that had text messaging and that had um, the video option. But as what also what was said, I want something that could record, record the data if I'm off the cellular service, I need that to come up later. And those tools really, I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, it, it, also in the context of, of the market, 
you could have something that could be as low as you know, $50 a month per, say, cell phone that it's inside of, right? But you could also find some tech guy who's like, oh my God, you need a robot and it costs $30,000 a month. So I'm much more looking for low cost options that are appropriate within the landscape of where you are. Then you're going to want, then you need um, resource in terms of to implement and to train people. And this I'd be looking at, you know, again, I'd want to make sure someone has experience and knows how these things actually work. And price will depend on how, you know, how many locations are you doing? How many, how, how long of a project is this? How many different specialties, you know, do we have going? So that can, that can vary. Um, so I'm not giving you like a hundred percent, like this cost or that cost, because it's going to vary a lot. My suggestion is that as you decide to, to go into this type of, um, service that you actually get at least, I would say between tech and someone who can actually implement and rarely do the tech partners do as good of a job as they promote that they can do in the implementation because you need people who really understand clinical workflows, clinical process, and also clinical training. So I would be getting at least five to 10 proposals of technology, the implementation, and then the training of it. And then I would be looking at the experience uh, within the particular area understanding do they really have the experience to bring this for you and then make my decision. Um, so I'm not giving you specific dollars because again, it really varies and I'm not going to necessarily pick the cheapest. I'm not going to pick the most expensive. I'm going to pick most likely somewhere in the middle and the experience is going to be what's most important to me that they actually understand because of the pandemic, you have a lot of people who say they, quote unquote, no telehealth, but really have almost no experience. They might have the last year of experience, which for me is not appropriate amount of experience. Then your final question was funding sources. So I would be looking at a combination of um, partnering with government, partnering with NGOs or different initiatives that are working on access um, healthcare. I would be, I would always be looking at what is my country, region, country or my region, province, what are their strategic health priorities? Maybe if they have SGD goals, I would be looking at a strategy first of what the government strategy is around healthcare and SGD goals. And then I would match my telehealth program to show how my telehealth program is going to help meet these specific goals of the country. And then that allows me to approach government and NGOs with a plan that is a telehealth plan, which furthers the strategic priorities of the health system of the government. 
Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for your brilliant response, Sam. Uh, I'm going to come back to uh, a little bit more on that question, especially for private practitioners who may be looking to do telehealth. But before we do that, I want to uh, say hi to Gordon. And if you could unmute your mic and contribute or ask your question. Yeah, um, I, I, I'd like to contribute. Um, <clears throat> There are uh, some really beautiful devices on the market that would uh, be ideal um, for Africa. Um, we, my, my partner and I, we have, um, we're, we're a think tank, but we're located in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, what we do is we, we, we help inventors of really badass technologies uh, bring them to market. And you know, sometimes we see something that is just, you know, screams like this belongs in Africa or Bangladesh or India. Um, and I'll describe something and it's and it's extremely affordable and it's it's something that could help transform healthcare in Africa is uh, one of our inventors created a smartphone powered and I want to underline it three times smartphone powered pulse oximeter that also measures heart rate, respiration, and perfusion index. Um, it's a $44 device. Um, it comes with a software that you download to your smartphone um, to run the device. Um, it was approved as a class two medical device here in the United States. But the reason it's ideal for, for any anywhere in the world where that is still developing, even even parts of the United States that are still developing is that you don't need a wireless to run it. In other words, once you download your software, all you need to run the device is a powered smartphone. So you could go literally anywhere in the world as long as your smartphone is powered um, and run this device, which will give an extremely accurate reading, like deadly accurate reading. Um, and it works for all skin tones because traditional pulse oximetry does not work, is not accurate for people of color because they're not calibrated to measure and to calibrate light transferring through dark pigmented skin. So um, there are devices that are out there that are ideal for Africa um, because they are smart. They are smartphone powered. They do not require wireless to run it. Yet you get the efficacy of a you know a, an FDA approved class two medical device uh, from the U.S. So um, I just wanted to bring that up. So there are devices out there that are ideal today um, for for use in Africa, especially in telemedicine. My name's Gordon and I'm done talking. Thank you so much, Gordon, for sharing uh, that information. I have a quick question. So when are you saying to um, acquire this uh, device or software? It's $44 one-time fee or there is a subscription? It's a subscription no, based. No, one, one, one time, uh, Kiki. Kiki. Is it Kiki? Kiki. Kiki. <laughs> Kike, I'm sorry, I apologize. One time, one one time, Kike, one time. The the software is actually free. Um, 
the device itself is it's a beautiful beautiful device it's called iox iox if you want to look at it and 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 understand it you could just go to oxygenislife.io but yeah no it's one time pk uh, there's no ongoing subscription nothing like that now a doctor a doctor could theoretically in a in a telehealth situation because the device pk it stores the data on the phone so in other words it's not stored in the cloud you know it's not wireless it's not bluetooth right it's stored on the phone so a user can download that data you know press a button export that data to a spreadsheet and send it to their provider um but no to answer your question there there's no ongoing subscription um well theoretically a doctor could could charge a patient an ongoing subscription to to monitor their data if the patient chooses to send their data to the doctor but no it's a one time and and that's it and by the way the first generation devices which are six seven years old they were originally created so uh, airline pilots that were flying very long distances could take their blood oxygen in midair because they're prone to um, blood clots. It's very dangerous. Um, but the devices that first came on the market six, seven years, they're still in use. So the device is extremely durable. Um, but no, it's a one-time charge and that's it. You, you have use of it for as long as you don't break your device. Awesome. Um, I will ask a follow-up question, which is uh, the primary user is the consumers, not the provider. Is that correct? Uh, both, Kike. Um, what we did is we, we, what we decided to do is we originally brought the device to consumer. And about 